Welcome to Not Your Pastor's Pulpit, the place where ordinary people proclaim an extraordinary Jesus. Hey guys, coming at you today is Alicia McClintock, an associate pastor at Crossroads Community Church of the Nazarene in California. West Coast, what's up? <laughs> Isn't it awesome, dude, to get like these perspectives on Jesus from all over the country? Yeah, absolutely. And Alicia's sermon that she did for us was really, really convicting, especially if you listen to it yes. at the very end, she says this phrase. I'm not going to spoil it here, but my goodness, dude. Hard to hear, but at the same time, very, very true, I believe. And so my, my main takeaway, if I can have one, is yeah. don't be a jerk Pharisee. <laughs> Hashtag jerk Pharisee. Hope, I hope it catches on. I hope it trends on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, it's just so we just slip into it so easily and she she kind of points that out yeah man in a big way hard truth but a truth that needs to be spoken so alicia preach it reading from the Gospel of Mark. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This Sabbath day healing is one of the first big moments in Mark's account of Jesus's public ministry and the powers that be already want to kill him. How on earth did they get here? Well, to the Pharisees, obeying God meant obeying the law, keeping certain rules and regulations. Jesus disregarded their idea of what God's law was supposed to be about, and they were genuinely convinced that he was a bad man. They thought they had figured it out, thought they knew what God had asked of them. But I've learned that the second I think I have God all figured out is the very same second I get it all wrong. God is not confined by our rules about God or our way of perceiving God. Jesus reconfigures everything. He is proclaiming in word and deed a new way of understanding who God is and a new way of being part of God's covenant people, different from what had been constructed by tradition. This is really threatening to those who have staked their lives on what's been constructed by tradition. So, these religious leaders show up looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, not looking to meet with God or celebrate God's work, certainly not expecting God to show up in a new or different way. Notice the question was not, could Jesus heal the man, but would he? They know Jesus has a kind of power and authority they've never seen before. This isn't about Jesus's power, but rather about their belief that he poses a threat to their own power. Here's the thing. Both Jesus and the Pharisees in the synagogue noticed this man with a shriveled hand. 
Jesus, we have been told, looks at people and is moved with compassion. The Pharisees, on the other hand, look around and start conniving. They see this man as a way to get the leverage they need to get rid of this upstart new guy. But Jesus deliberately faces their opposition with compassion, offering them a chance to be a part of God's new creation, to jump into the new work that God is doing. Jesus frames the issue around doing good or doing evil, saving life or destroying it, recalling Deuteronomy 30. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. The question contains its own answer. Jesus reiterates that Sabbath observance is about life and rest and restoration. And here is the crucial moment, their chance to choose life and restoration, yet they remain silent. Mark's description of Jesus' anger at their callousness is forceful and passionate in the Greek language. Only in Gethsemane is Jesus' grief and anguish expressed with more emotional force than here in the face of the callousness of the synagogue gathering to the suffering of this man. Mark says Jesus is angry, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. The word translated stubborn does not mean malicious as much as completely unwilling to understand, a hardness of heart and a hardness of mind that make one callous to any spiritual truth and engender scornful disobedience to God's will. This stubbornness and hardness of heart is not isolated to Jesus's opponents. It will equally describe his own disciples later on. The greatest enemy of divine love and justice is not opposition, not even malice, but hardness of heart and indifference to divine grace. One of my favorite writers and theologians, N.T. Wright, puts it this way, The world cannot cope with a Jesus who comes out of the tomb, who inaugurates God's new creation right in the middle of the old one. So what is it that the Pharisees are so upset about with Jesus? What exactly can't they cope with? Well, Jesus is messing with Sabbath rules. The observance of the Sabbath was one of the crucial markers of Jewish identity, one of the things intrinsic to being the chosen people of God. Sabbath is not just what they did. It was who they were because of what God had done for them. Listen to this passage from the law in Deuteronomy 5. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Notice that Sabbath is about what God had done for them, God's rescue and God's restoration given with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Sabbath is about receiving God's rest and restoration and extending that to everyone. The Sabbath is made for God's blessing to be felt and experienced. It's a strategic message about God's heart, plan, and purpose for all creation. That's what Jesus is proclaiming. 
But at the point in the story of the Jewish people where Jesus shows up, keeping the Sabbath had been turned into a mountain of fine-spun interpretations, a burden instead of a rest. The religious leaders watching are ready to enforce all these Sabbath rules, yet they're blind to the present suffering of the man right in front of them. They're too busy looking for leverage to use against Jesus. But Jesus sees a man in need. Jesus cannot remain unmoved in the face of suffering. To Jesus, people matter far more than systems and are far more important than rituals. There is no question here. Of course, Jesus will heal this man on the Sabbath. That's the entire God-designed point of Sabbath. And Jesus works differently from the societal norms and expectations of the religious leaders and their interpretation of the law. His allegiance is exclusively to the good news of God directed to needy and alienated people. In this Sabbath story, what I notice is that God is not at rest. God is at work in that synagogue. God is on the move, doing something totally new, exploding all the categories we thought we had for God and God's work. Jesus shows up proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here, and he's offering a new kind of rest, and he's working out a new kind of holiness, just what Sabbath had always been intended to be. Jesus recenters Sabbath practice around human need because it, it was always originally centered there. The Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. Jesus is saying Sabbath is about life, not law. So Jesus asks the man to step out in front of everyone, and we feel the temperature and tension in the room rising. This man responds to Jesus' invitation, stretch out your hand, and his hand is completely restored. By reaching out to Jesus, this man is healed. In Jesus, God has come to us as one of us and offers the gift of new life and complete restoration. This is Sabbath. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God reaches to us. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God rescues us. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God restores us. Jesus shows up and sees us with our shriveled hands. He looks at us and knows us, and he invites us to stand up and says, look at me, keep it right here, stretch out your hand. And when we accept this invitation and reach out to Jesus with our own shriveled hands, we are met by the mighty hand and outstretched arm of the living God. After the man's hand is completely restored, it's publicly obvious that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, so the Pharisees have found the leverage they were looking for, and they immediately start scheming. What seems so tragic to me is that the very people who were supposed to have seen God coming have totally missed it. The withered hand of the man is nothing compared to the withered souls of the Pharisees. Jesus had shown up with a radically new vision of God's work and God's people, and these guys wanted nothing to do with it, preferring to keep things as they were, to keep the world they had created themselves rather than the new world God was creating. And we have to ask, how often is this us? How often are we the ones with hard and stubborn hearts? How often are we showing up to criticize and control rather than to wonder and to worship? How often are we missing the movement of God because we're looking to accuse? How often do we prefer our own power over Jesus's power? 
Often, the truth is we prefer a dormant God easily contained by our rituals and rules over the living, active, category-exploding God who moves with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and whose presence overturns everything and turns everything out of our control. When God gets too close, we are faced with the difficult truth that we would rather kill Jesus than reach out our shriveled hands to be restored. God forbid we get so caught up in our vision of reality that we totally miss out on God's vision for new creation. When we are confronted with the Jesus who inaugurates God's new creation right in the middle of the old one, we can respond with hard hearts or we can reach out to Jesus. God is working out the new creation right in the middle of the old one, and we're invited to stand up, reach out our shriveled hands, and meet the mighty hand and outstretched arm of the living God. Amen. May it be so. like to share a sermon or story about Jesus on Not Your Pastor's Pulpit, you can do so by following three simple guidelines. Keep it short, keep it Jesus, and love others. If you would like to learn more about our submission process, please go to notyourpastorspodcast.com backslash pulpit or listen to episode 26. Until next week, go in peace, my friends. Right